Hi, and welcome to Dietless Living 360 Degrees, Overcoming Weight Loss Obstacles with me, your host, Katie Gordon. As a weight loss coach, I help my clients to overcome the weight loss obstacles that they have so that they can lose weight their way and lose it for life. But the old saying that it takes a village to raise a child also applies to reaching our weight loss and health goals because the obstacles that we have to losing weight also reach out into the areas of our life as we often have challenges and obstacles with relationships, work, finances, homes, families, our, our home environment, our businesses, and sometimes we even have injuries and far more complex health issues. So with that in mind, Dietless Living 360 Degrees brings in other professionals to help you overcome those obstacles. And today we have the wonderful Frances Borg. Frances Borg is a relationship therapist and a couples workshop presenter based in Boondall. Frances is in private practice and her business name is Brisbane North Counselling. She's married to Ian for 41 years and in their earlier married life, Ian's work took them to live in four overseas countries and then back in Australia to live in North Queensland and in Darwin. They have six children and 11 grandchildren. I didn't know that about you, Frances. That's amazing. <laughs> and Frances enjoys gardening, walking, most sports, knitting and travel. And I definitely know she loves gardening. I've been her place. She has a fantastic garden. Thank you. So welcome to the show, Frances. It's great having you with us today. Would you like to tell us a little bit about what you do and what the main way is that you help your clients? Oh, hello, Katie. And thank you very much for welcoming me, welcoming me here today. And I really want to say thank you to that wonderful um, little catchphrase of yours of, of this dietless living and 360 degrees kind of um, look. That's really great. I really, uh, I really like that. It's really catchy and important. So, you know, my world or my business world is about relationships mm -hmm. and relationship counselling. So I'm a therapist. And I do come from a number of professional backgrounds. So, and just to let you know, is that there is um, lots of lenses that I bring into my work. But um, I did start life as a registered nurse and a midwife, and I went off to do a degree in theology, and I've got my master's in social science, and I majored in the counselling. And that's when I um, launched myself, after completing that, that's how I launched myself into counselling, and that was 16 years ago. Wow, 16 yeah. years ago. Yeah, and so when I first um, launched myself, um, I, I thought because I had this, uh, being out in community, working in the public and private sectors in my nursing and um, with my degree in theology, I was working in local hospitals here on the north side, the Royal Brisbane, and also um, at Holy Spirit at Prince, near Prince Charles Hospital as a pastoral carer and as a chaplain. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole lot of other things that I worked in using those kind of four career bases there. My, my mainstay was midwifery and as a midwife, the royal women's, I could work there as a casual. These are all the other lenses or the other skills that I bring with me. And it was in, in 2006, I completed my master's. I was working as a casual at the royal and then um, I had some part-time work in a women's refuge just here on the north side. 
All right, so maybe um, what I should say is that, you know, with this training, with my life experience and with my more specific training in relationship counselling and therapies, mm-hmm. then that's, um, I have these skills and this skill, uh, most of my training is around something called Imago Relationship Theory and Therapy and so that when couples come to see me, I've got um, this relationship science and this way of viewing what um, what history or, or therapy says a little bit more about couples and why they find themselves, you know, they're here in therapy because now they're in conflict. Yeah. There's a big disconnection. And so that's the beginning point when I see most couples and then I've got this background to help them understand what's going on and to use some processes for them now to safely begin to talk to each other learn a little bit more about what's really going on for each of them and to share it safely. Um, from there they can learn, uh, you know, there's there's the potential for change to take place. Awesome. Um, and I imagine that it's quite a surprise for them to discover uh, what the real problems are. Actually. Yeah. When, yeah. when, they, when they get down to it, it's, it's never anything what it seems on the surface, is it? No, not at all. And, in fact, that's a really interesting thing because couples come in here and then they find out something that well hasn't been true for nine years. Yes. So something's been misinterpreted or withheld for reasons, you know, we all have, you know, you know, we don't feel safe enough to share things. And so now because they, uh, you know, I've got this skill, you know, which is to, to help them feel safe, to be able to listen to each other that then other things show up. And you're right. Yeah. 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 Some new well, that's really interesting. Uh, and I'm going to talk to you more about that as we go through. Sure. Because it's really interesting to for our viewers to find out more because that's actually why they're tuning in because they want to find out more about the couples therapy and, and working together. Yeah. But I wanted to just talk to you a little bit about yourself because we also want to get to know you and you know the truth is that we all go through hardships in life that's just how it is for us as a human being and I think it's really good when we get to hear other people's um, how they've overcome hardships what hard maybe you know just pick um, like what your greatest hardship has been that you've actually had to overcome in your life and how you did it, like what strategies did you use and how did you develop your resilience in that time? Or maybe you developed your resilience like later, maybe it came from having the hardship. So if you could just share with us what your greatest hardship has been and how you've overcome it, Francis. I, I saw this question before, okay, so... And I knew that I had to kind of, um, I had, you know, you were giving me a bit of heads up, you know, what to talk about. And I found that very difficult to say just one thing or to even to try and express it. And I often say to people, I've got more lives than a cat. So I wanted to say that, you know, maybe because I'm in this privileged position or, you know, when I was nursing and especially in midwifery, you know, I met people who were really going through some pretty traumatic and tough stuff you know, some real life and death stuff. And, in fact, for some, it was real death, you know, the death of their, their joy and their happiness and their wishes and their surprises. And But just even as a therapist, you know, people come in here and they do come with their stories, you know. Um, 
And I just feel like it's like I can't trump any of those stories, right? So I don't think anything okay. really bad, bad has happened, you know? But I don't need you to trump their story. No, no. no, but I know, yeah, and I know I've had, I've had um, where people have let me down or when I've been the last to know. And um, when and being a therapist and, and doing my own therapy on myself and then constantly being in discussions, right, I think it was like this thing I never felt I belonged. If I was to say, what's the biggest trauma? And it's shown up in so many parts of my life. And, of course, there's a beginning story because the belonging story really had to become in childhood, didn't it, with the own family. And, again, I don't want to dishonour or be disrespectful to the, those people who did as best as they could or the siblings or the relatives that have got out there or even the, the community I grew up in. But that was really, um, that was the big trauma that I ha had to live with um, until, and remember, I, I started telling you a little while ago a story about being employed somewhere and being told I didn't belong and I can't stay. Yes. So the story had stayed with me, right? And it could be my childhood brain misunderstanding or misinterpreting, okay, right? But I could be very, very spot on, okay? Yeah. And so if I would say what's the big trauma story in my life is that it took this long for me to go and do something about it. <laughs> I think most people can relate to that, Francis. And you're so right. It's the story our brain tells us when we're little, which may or may not have anything to do with reality, but it becomes a reality for us because of the way our brain's interpreting everything that's going on. But it could also be very true, Katie. It's not just, you know, it's not well, just... It can uh, be. It can be. Um, yeah. But I think that feeling of not belonging is really a universal feeling. I think if you spoke to a lot of population I know I've felt it myself yeah. many times and very heavily where that I don't belong in the group I'm in you know basically in society and and it is a story that our darling wonderful brain to you know delivers to us on many yeah. occasions yeah yeah look so everything that you know about everything to do with the counselling yourself, counselling with others. So what have been the things that you've used to leverage yourself out of that belief? Well, I do remember one powerful story that I told myself as a child, okay, because resilience for me, what I think it means is learning to go with the ups and downs of life, okay, yep. that sometimes a yes really is going to turn out to be no and that um no's may really always just be no's, you know. But I remember thinking as a child, I know this story and I can see the picture in my head for, from a very young age of looking in a mirror, looking at myself and looking at my hair, my eyes, my nose. I, I'm not exactly sure what prompted me to do this, but I remember thinking, I like me. And I often say this even to my children who think it's absolutely hilarious, okay, but I've used this many times during my life. I would say, I think I'm the nicest person I know. <laughs> so I just think that picture of me looking in the mirror and me, that little line, and I don't know where I got it from, but I've had it for a lot of years, 
And I didn't really know what resilience meant, but I think that's where my resilience came from, that I had those little stories in my head to say. Um, but again, yeah, that, that, how about that? It's so important, right, to be able to acknowledge and say that to ourselves because part of our, I remember for myself, part of my feeling of not belonging was um, feeling uh, obviously isolated, disassociated from those around me, which yeah. really came back to feeling disassociated from myself, like isolated from me because I was looking to other people to tell me that I was okay and that I existed, you know, and that's why I would belong. So you're looking at yourself and saying, mm, I like me. Even though when all these other messages are coming around, yeah. like nobody's there and you're left on your own, yeah, it's it was sometimes it was the saving grace. It showed up. Yeah. And it's what you, you're missing, right? That's what makes us feel like we don't belong is that we don't like us. But if we like us, we belong to ourselves. For me, it's really like the key solution. Well, if I like me, I belong to me. And wherever I go, well, I'm there, so I'm okay. <laughs> well, it is a very, very important element. That's for sure, I think, for every, each and every one of us, okay? Do you remember how old you were when you had that? I reckon I was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm around 10, something like that, I'm, wow. I'm before high school, yeah. Look at your evolution starting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Francis, because it's a really important story to share because, like I said, there's so many people that can identify with that feeling of not belonging. I think it's really universal. Yeah. So if if there was um, something that you've, like, we all take big risks, right? Life is hardships and risks. That's how we move forward. And Having read your bio and that you've moved to a lot of countries, you've moved around a lot, you've got six children, 11 grandchildren. So what would you consider to be, um, oh, and, you know, you've had a very long and changeable career, like your career is built over stepping stones along the way. So what would you consider to be one of the biggest risks that you've ever taken either in your life or career um, and why you took it? Well, definitely, um, you know, I started travelling actually while I was doing my, my general training. So I was really only 17 and started travelling. So there was overseas travel in third world countries there with just other nurses. So, you know, there was all the oohs and ahs and how dangerous and risky other people would be saying or making comments about that. But to us at that time, <clears throat> we were just, you know, well, what are teenagers? They're just risk takers or... You know, we just had all of this adrenaline and we did things and definitely we were lucky. I was lucky that, you know, I dodged some uh, potentially dangerous things, but maybe that was intuition that came into play there. Yeah. So, um, and, and I think that my intuition has been my saving grace for many years. But, yeah, you know, it's a risk always, like even getting in your car or going to work because, you know, the way some of the workplace cultures are today, the traffic, road rage, but, you know, choosing a, a life partner you know at a very young age when you're saying I do and forever and ever and what does that mean when you're only mid-20s there's a lot of people who can say what how do they really know what that means when they're 20 or 30 when we're going to be living together till we're 90 potentially yeah. you know <laughs> yeah but you know um but you know birthing um 
when I trained, we were gung-ho midwives. We were into home births then. So I was overseas having home births, um, you know, or birthing in third world countries. So and, and people thought that was risky, but I don't know. I don't remember being frightened. Um, and I must admit, I had some training, yeah. but, you know, um, I don't know. What, what was the biggest riskiest thing? Um, you know, so there's been a whole lot of things that, um, but I suppose when I did launch myself in private practice, remember, it was a gene, it was a, a knee-jerk reaction to being told one more time that I don't belong. Yeah. And and I, I remember thinking, F you, and I didn't mean, and I wasn't saying Francis, not you. Yeah, no, and I was saying, <laughs> that's what I told myself, I would never work for anyone ever again. And so I launched myself into private practice. And, you know, I've, I've, I, I had to just follow this kind of like paper chase trail of how to set yourself up legitimately. Yeah. But I do remember on the first day that I did open my practice, you know, so it's big risk telling people this is what you're going to do. And a lot of people asking them, well, how are you going to do that? And I didn't have any answers. But people came to my office in those early weeks and told me how many times a new business would fail. Oh, I know, they're so helpful with these statistics, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they are true statistics. So, um, you know, risk, I think, you know, that over time it did start to um, affect me in the sense that I stopped paying attention to just what I was trying to achieve. And, and when I could call myself back to that, um, some of my anxiety would be diminished, okay? So... But there was a stage where I was losing my hair and that was from stress and anxiety, yeah. not sleeping enough and yeah. waking with that pounding in my heart and waking up in terror yeah. to, in the dark to tell myself, oh, you know, I had to talk myself into remembering I'm in my own bed, you know, yeah. I'm safe, there's my other half there with me yeah. and then to quiet and just for me to be able to talk and tell myself what it is that's woken me up and how to get myself back to sleep. So maybe it was that because for me it was like you didn't realise all the world, their eyes are upon you. And, of course, it's only a little old me. That wasn't true. The whole world isn't waiting for me to crash <laughs> uh, and burn. But, you know, when you met people, generally the first question was how are things going? Yeah. And, you know, um, what were the glossy lines to gloss it over? But. You know, after a little while, you know, even though I knew those things, I was doing well. I, I just had in my own little head each month there was a way or each week I would know I was doing better than the week before. I just looked at the books. I had clients. There yeah. was an income and I was meeting my bills, my obligations and that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And it took me a lot of years. In fact, it took me a lot of years until I got into a business coaching group that I realised how much how how cruisy I had been doing compared to a whole lot of other people, you know, and I realised, oh, my gosh, you know. So you been... doing really well at an easy pace and thinking that you weren't really there, but then when you saw how others are doing, it's like, oh, maybe I'm doing better than I think. Well, it's not that I wasn't there. It's that I'm not a real business, and I don't know where that word came from, that I'm not real. Um, and I must admit, sometimes people say, oh, that's a hobby. And that's really just a put down, isn't it? Well, it is. It's their opinion. Their their way of yeah, 
yeah. remember that um oh. you know, Clint Eastwood I think he's a, it was in his Dirty Harry movie and he went you know opinions are like assholes everybody has one <laughs> yeah yeah and so sometimes I was listening to the wrong thing so I could traumatize myself because of that holding on to really people awesome. who meant absolutely nothing to me yeah who meant absolutely nothing to me in the day-to-day of my life you know who weren't the people there supporting me or loving me yeah or didn't actually have any like real meaning to you it's just people and their opinions but you know you touch on a real topic that I am sure I also can relate to it that as somebody who's tried to branch out and do something that they're passionate about that they're really gung-ho about like I can make a difference in the world I have something to offer and I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on my own and do it and the the night sweats of going oh my god am I you know like there's so much to to learn to do to whatever you know it's it never feels easy to do it and you do wake up with night sweats and just you know that heart palpitations and that just going oh my god how am I going to get through there's so much to do yeah but you know and I but I had I had skills to make that go away so thank you for that and I could go back to sleep and I still the next day the phone rang again or some beautiful surprises just showed up out of nowhere um so yeah that was really that was really I, I I do remember those as well I would remember that you know oh so and there you are still helping people to mend their relationships so that they can continue on with their life in a happy you know relaxed way communicate or make better choices just yeah. just make choices their own choices as opposed to being reactive yeah yeah is there anything that you would consider the hardest thing that you've ever voluntarily put yourself through? Like we've just really covered, I think, a wide gamut of what is Francis Borg's life because you've talked about um, all the things that may or may not be considered risks. Marriage is a, a good one, I think, because a lot of people go into that and then, you know, oh, run away. Um, and you've talked about uh, what the biggest risks are that you've taken, but is there anything that you've voluntarily put yourself through that really was something just so hard? I remember there's some things that I've done and there's a particular thing in my life that I often say to people, like, it was the hardest thing I've ever voluntarily put myself through. Well, when I was young and silly and we were only 18 years old, um, or maybe we were 20, uh, myself and three school friends had all had been taught. We played netball together. We talked about going overseas and one of them organised it all. I just had to just pay my bills and meet up with them. But and I'd already been to um, Kathmandu in the Himalayas before um, when I was 18. So now I'm a bit older. And so I joined these other three. And they were just a little bit younger than me. I think I was the oldest in our netball team. And we went, we got given, we got given a free trek of a base camp of one of the, the highest, you know, of Mount Everest. Okay. Yeah. And I must admit, not only was I not really uh, adequately dressed enough, <laughs> and even though they try and advise you what to take. So, um, but we were trekking into thigh deep snow. Oh, 
Yeah, and I must admit that was friggin', you know, and I remember shaking and crying because this was really something I had not thought or ever considered would happen. But fortunately, just some very nice villagers invited us in and there was a fire and I'm pretty sure this is where they had their animals. Um, and so we were warmed up and then they made popcorn. But, you know, that was just a real um, a few hours of real discomfort. But certainly if you ever go mountain climbing like that, you know, it's not just, you know, it's it really, you know, you think you're physically fit at 20 just because you play a sport every Saturday, yeah. um, Saturday afternoon or something rather like that. But really walk, going up those kind of mountains and coming down them, my gosh, they give those legs and, <laughs> and those knees a real kind of shaken up in a big way. So I think there was a few hard days of some hours were really long and sometimes the nights were pretty cold. And yeah. I don't know, I, I didn't really sleep because I was cold. So that was something, if you called it voluntary, well, you know, I said, yes, I'll go. <laughs> yeah, you said, yep, I'm coming. And then, yeah. you know, you make your choices and off you go and you learn your valuable lessons along the way. Yeah. And um, probably so saved you from getting frostbite, maybe being invited into that warm fire. It was just beautiful of them. I mean, I, you know, I'm oblivious to how we got in there. I mean, there was a group and we were with Sherpas. Yeah. So we weren't alone for sure. But that's, um, again, just that's gung-ho young adult teenagers who just follow someone along. Oh, yeah, I can do that. That was great. <laughs> I know. And, and it, it is kind of the story of my life. You know, I'll jump and then yeah. I'll think, oh, okay. <laughs> I think I love that about you because that's such a good quality, I think. Just somebody says something and you, yeah, okay, I'm in. Let's see how yeah. it goes. Yeah, that is really a quality of mine. Um, and sometimes it's left me listening to people in their depths of despair and you know I really wish I didn't have to hear it but you know just for a little while it's okay for me to just stay there with them as well that's yeah. the kind of the worst part of it as well you can't take pain away no you can't we all have to we're human that's for each of us to deal with isn't it yeah yeah so onto more brighter subjects what's fun look like for you Francis? Uh, I think it's um, at the moment I, f I find it fun that I've got this opportunity to connect with other people, you know, as you know, through meetup groups yeah. and being able to uh, join other people's groups. So I like being um, able to make a choice to go to places uh, and be with other groups and hear other speakers. Um, often it leads to a lunch somewhere so I can chat with a person or a few other people. Yeah. Um, certainly that's what's fun uh, at the moment with me um, and certainly the garden I like to grow things and um, sometimes my grandchildren want to sell plants out the front so we have a bit of interaction around that nice. and it's very kind of people to stop <laughs> and pay them way too much money <laughs> for a plant but it's very kind of them to do that and then if I really wanted to do something fun it's like live sport um, Fortunately, got to go and watch a, a Broncos game yeah. at Suncorp Stadium on a Friday night with my daughter. And, I mean, I don't, 
it's not that I support either of the teams that were playing, but I was with someone, it was my daughter, and we public transport and just people around us and screaming and yelling, you know. I know was- a live event is amazing, isn't it? Like I don't have any great interest either, but if I can get to a live event of anything, yeah, it's the atmosphere that makes it. Yeah, even, even yeah, you're right, it could be music. Yeah. It could be instruments, it, as long as you don't have to be quiet all the time. I, yeah. You know, I mean, I do like to go to the live shows where you have to watch. Like, you know, if I can interact on the sideline, that's even better. You know, it's kind of like venting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But when we do, sometimes we travel, we do try and travel. My husband and I or some of the, some of the family come with us, and that's fun as well. You know, um, nice. it, it's really lovely going in groups. Um, and I've done it occasionally with people for conferences and even though it's been fun gathering with people I do know but I only see once or twice a year yeah uh, I think that's fun as well see I, I like to say I like connecting and um I think what that's it that about you having had the career that you've had you've traveled you've lived in different places um mm-hmm. you've you've got a big family mm-hmm. you know you've got your six kids 11 grandkids and I can really see that about you that it's uh, important for you and that you're just obviously very good at it, Yeah, connecting and gathering with people. Yeah. And, you know, um, what I have learned since doing my own therapy and being a therapist as well is that, you know, it's true, you do find your own tribe, don't you, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's okay when people don't like you or don't want to be with you. It's yeah. not the nicest way to feel, but I get it now and it it's easier for me to say that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I've got all this other stuff to do. Exactly. And that's okay. Yeah, and that's been a wonderful saving grace, I think, for me to to now be able to verbalise that and to understand what that really means. Thank you for sharing that. Can you share with us now what it is that you do to relax? Because everybody likes to relax, but most people think of relaxing, mm, watching TV or, you know, it's sort of more that. But I think there are much more beautiful ways that we can get relaxation and I I like to find out what other people's ideas are on that. Yeah, and, and relaxing for me is about time, you know. Sometimes I can wake up in bed and think, oh, I got the whole day. And then I already feel relaxed, you know. <laughs> but I do like to go for walks. I think walks are great. But I go with a dog, so I really love this, my company. Yeah. Um, I know if I really want to get myself in a relaxed zone, I read a book because it does, it, it switches everything off and I actually sleep more. So that's a relaxing thing. I catch up on sleep because I read and yeah. then it'll put me off to sleep. Um, but again, I noticed that sometimes music does that and a, a nice rocking chair that I've got out the back, you know. Oh, rocking so I really don't have to go into massage or, I, I mean, I've got the aroma stuff. I mean, they all add something. Yeah. Uh, I was never big on massage, but occasionally, um, you know, the water's lovely going to the beach or in the pool. Yeah. Yeah, and you just spend time out in your garden. You yeah, my garden yeah. to potter around and move around in. Like you've got mm. a big garden, you can move around. It's not just like a wall, one mm. wall. You've got a garden that you can meander through and check out. And I love that you have all your pets, <laughs> previous pets, still with you in the garden. Yeah. 
I think that's so great. So we've got our memorial tree. Yes. Guinea pigs past and our dogs, yes. Yeah. yeah. When Where I grew up, uh, at, yeah, out in the hinterland of the Gold Coast, we grew up on 40 acres. Well, my siblings were there too, but I was the only one born in Queensland. Everyone else was born down New South Wales. And so my whole life I grew up on 40 acres and my dad was a really good one for bringing home um, wildlife that he'd find on the side of the road at night on his way home. Yeah. And uh, so it, any of the wildlife that survived, we would take to David Flay's um, animal sanctuary in, at Burley, yeah. but all the ones that didn't survive, they all had little crosses down in the back paddock. Yeah. I know that in my childhood and I did it with my children, you know, we had our little ritual, you know, our farewell ritual, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's and lovely. I, yeah, and that's important too. I think so. That's really such a lovely thing to be able to share in that because when we share in the grief of passing of animals, I think that's preparing us really well for the grief when we as adults have to say goodbye to people that we love. It's not such a surprise and it's not such an out-of-the-box kind of a feeling and concept that somebody is gone. Yeah, and it's not just a one-moment thing, is it, you know? Like the heartbeat might just stop and, yep. and, and death has happened. Um, but, you know, we're the ones that us that have left behind, at least we can come and, you know, console each other by just having our little daily conversations about yeah. you know, how we're going and what it's like without, you know, one of my favourite dogs, you know. Yeah, so that was really nice to being able to talk about. Um, what it was like not having monkey around and things yeah. like that. So yeah, That's so yeah, and you're right. It primes you for hopefully for when those other sudden and unexpected events happen to us. Yeah, you know, it will happen one day, won't it? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And leavings and comings and goings are happening all the time aren't they they are I mean that's it that's the whole thing of being a human's life we have so many things that we have to overcome and they're all thought of as obstacles yet they're really all just the normal steps that are what we have to go through in life some have more than others to be yes but um overall our ups and downs that that's what it's about yeah Francis, can you, we, I think we've probably covered this, but maybe if we just sort of summarise it, what is it that drove you into this field of work that you're doing and motivated you to stick with it, especially sticking with it like as a, a business owner? It's it's not, as we talked about already, it's not always easy to keep waking up and going, yep, I'm going to keep sticking with this today. <laughs> But I am really passionate about relationship therapy, okay, and the theory yeah. that I um, that I practice with couples. And I suppose how it happened was that, you know, like I said, I opened my practice and at first because I had a family and I'd been in lots of community um, settings, hospitals, I went off and just did this specific study about family therapy. But very quickly couples kept coming. Yeah, And so now um, I would start practicing some of my family therapy on couples and these couples would start fighting in front of me, um, even worse than my husband and I on our worst day. Because, you know, the family stuff, we're trying to find out what's going on. And so, but if you put the couple in and invite them to talk about almost asking him, who's upset you and what did they do? Well, in the end, I would just get them more activated. 
I brought into the room the very thing that they were doing at home, but they had no skills yet of how to actually stay with it and just have different language around it. So sometimes this happened. I mean, I did really great work with a lot of people, right, okay, but occasionally this would happen and it would take all session to calm them down. Sometimes I thought they left worse than when they came, right? But so I went looking for this theory. So that's where it came from. And when I got to this theory, it took me a while to get there because I still had a little girl at home. But when I found, and I had to travel to another state to go and do this training, within the first morning of that training, whatever we started discussing, some very truthful things about me showed up straight away, right? Yeah. My first family, the language, the words I had about myself, one about not belonging, right? Remember that word attract me all these years, right? And now um, another one is that I'm problematic, right, was another one. Um, But the most powerful thing about that was um, that I realised um, my own relationship was was in a bad way. It was kind of like, you know, I realised then that it was like asking a train wreck, my relationship, train wreck, <laughs> right, to go and fix up other people's relationships, and that was the big thing as well, okay? So once I realised I had to face that, the childhood stories, whether they were true or not true, and how the childhood stories had impacted on my adult relationship, and there were so many things that, kept happening that cycling from my childhood into my adult relationship okay yeah this theory was helping me make sense of it it's kind of like I finally stopped to listen to me because when I'm okay right then I got a lot a big better chance of just maintaining the things and people about me and myself right exactly see how already the passion came because bang here I am thinking I have to go and study this and then I'll know then I have to go and study this and then I'll know then I'll go and study this I mean who goes and does a master's when they've just had their sixth child I don't know but me it was me okay so um and I don't even like writing dedication (laughs) I I love your dedication but it was I think all the while I was searching when will I be enough when will I be okay When, when will I know when will I know you know and then when um, I was doing this, this theory about relationship counselling, for me to practice it, they said to continue, this was like only the introductory, they said, oh, you and your husband have to go and do a couple's workshop. And then I thought, how am I going to make him to come and do a workshop with me? We don't even really like each other. Fine, Francis, yes. <laughs> and so I used all my childhood skills to make him come. And there's a huge story about that. But even just to say that after we did the workshop, right, it was like things just got so much better. Yeah. And then I realised the legacy that I'd given my own children, which is my childhood dysfunction, I kind of was just passing it on to them, right? Some things were, were absent. And then I now had skills to try and remedy that and undo it. And that, that was a powerful message because about six months after we did that couple's workshop, three of our adult children, because now they were young adults, they had partners of their own, they were visiting. And the younger of the three said to me, we, my husband and I were sitting at the back, the youngest one, and they were all there. She said, so what's going on? And I said, what do you mean? What, what's going on? What's wrong? And we said, what do you mean? How come you're in the same room together and how come you two <laughs> like each other? Katie, how come you two like each other? 
so we've not seen this before. What's going on? Yeah, they couldn't understand. Yeah, it was too unfam- It was unfamiliar. Right? Yeah, well, it I- must have been for them to bring it up, right? Yeah, and so they thought someone had to be really, really sick. Yeah, something's so, amiss. Yeah, so that was eleven years ago, right? And then from then on, because I had these skills, I was able to, you know, talk to their grandchildren and to them in ways that, you know, instead of, um, you know, instead of making things worse, you know, I could actually just, I opened my mouth when I could. Sometimes I knew just to stay out of it. And then I had better answers or better conversations for them. And with time, I could show them the work that I'd been doing for them to read and to understand that this is another way to be. So kind of a great legacy you're leaving for not only your family, you mended your own relationship by following this path, and now you're really giving that same gift to other couples. Yeah, and that's right. And the couples workshop, right, that's where I think the power is. The most powerful message is immerse yourself with that other person, okay? I'm not trying to make people stay together, right? It's not about that. I can just show you what the science says, what this theory, I can even show you where I get this information from. It says do more of this, do less of that, invite each other to do this work together. You'll come to a new, your own, you'll come to your own um, decision as to where where we'll go. And I've even had couples say, thank you. Now we know how to separate and still look after our children. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's a really important thing too. Yep, yep, so important. Yeah. So, so when I get that feedback, then I'm just energised to keep going. Yeah. Of course. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, Francis, if people want to find out more about you, your couple's workshops and just how to work with you in general, how can they find you? What's the best place to go? I think you could just Google Brisbane North Counselling, right? Right. You would find the website link there and you go on there and on that page you'll see if you want to do couples um, sessions or my phone number's there so people want to have a chat. I'm happy to talk to people beforehand uh, or the people could see a bit more information about the couples workshop. Um, And my next one is the 3rd, 4th and 5th of June, my next workshop. Okay, not far away. So if you're interested in couples counselling, doing a couples workshop, book in for June. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I just had a couple who was at my last workshop, which was the beginning of March. So just another feedback from her today was, oh, if I could stand on my roof and yell and tell everyone how wonderful this is and to tell them how cost effective it is, you know, and she just said that, you know, this is the thing to do. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that with us all today, uh, Francis. I, again, just thank you for coming on to the show. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. And uh, thank you to you today for everyone who's viewing. Um, it's always hard to say goodbye. So please make sure you subscribe to this channel. And please leave us a comment below and just let us know what you found valuable from the conversation today, especially from Frances's uh, adventures and her life experiences and everything that she's shared with us today. So please do leave us a comment about our conversation and just exactly what obstacle it's helped you to overcome.
So thanks again, Francis, and we'll sign it off there for now. So bye, everyone. And thank you very much, Katie. Bye, everyone. Bye.